Well, hello there. This is Laura Camacho, the communication coach at Mixonian Institute, and welcome to episode 93 of the Speak Up podcast. And today's episode is about optimism for overthinkers. But and I'm by overthinkers, I'm really thinking of my analytical community, the brainiacs, and this is not just about you're uh, raising your level of optimism, but helping you to cultivate optimism in your team. And not just because it's a nice thing to do, but because it's an effective way. It's really a discipline of your mind. And there are some things you can do. It's going to increase your performance level. It's going to lower stress. Uh, Your people are going to feel more empowered they're going to be more creative and more likable. And I've already, uh, have, I should do a podcast on it, but I've done research. Likeability is basically the number one thing you need to get that promotion and to get that raise. Uh, and I am not a naturally optimistic person. In fact, throughout my life, I was always like got the constructive criticism of being too serious very serious person, very focused, and it's like, I read this quote that pessimists are that way because they've paid the bills for the failures of the optimists. So yes, there are different levels of optimism, and a blind optimism like, oh, everything's going to turn out fine, is appropriate in certain circumstances. Like if I have a teenage girl who's just so emotional and not able to receive a message about how illogical she's being than just saying it's going to be okay, it's going to turn out fine, that's appropriate. But the thing is we get our brains, we spend so much time training them to be rational and analytical and then it's harder to be optimistic because your brain is, you're trained, you're schooled in looking for problems looking for details, thinking about things that could go wrong. And so that's the kind of people that this podcast is for. It's about how you too can embrace optimism. So I'm going to start uh, by kind of giving a definition of optimism. And I, there's so many out there, but it's really an attitude that reflects your belief that things are going to have favorable, that situations are going to yield favorable outcomes. And I would take that definition and tweak it a little bit and say optimism, like an informed optimism, is a commitment to making the best of any situation, to creating favorable outcomes, uh, even when you can't control the the big picture. And and a perfect example of this is this this whole podcast. Uh, I chose this topic because I did a survey a few months ago of my of my audience, the readers of my weekly newsletter, which is a weekly funny and like a communication tip, and uh, asked people, you know, like what would you like to learn? And optimism, being more optimistic, was number one on the list. So that was probably in June, and this is now early September. I had this webinar scheduled about optimism for September 5th. This was scheduled for a long time. And those of you uh, who are new to the Mixonian Institute may not realize that we are based in Charleston, South Carolina, where Hurricane Dorian just passed. And it turns out that the hurricane was slamming 
Charleston at the exact moment, that time span from 12 to 1 that my webinar was scheduled for. So Dorian came up kind of to challenge me, did do the webinar from Columbia, South Carolina, which, and I did forget things like my lights and my hair iron. So it wasn't my most polished webinar, but it was very well attended because there were so many people that were off their regular schedule and were able to tune in. So I'm I restructured a little bit based on the feedback from that webinar earlier this week to talk to you about optimism in this podcast. And I'm going to give you five actionable insights based on five specific outcomes that you can get by increasing your own optimism and really developing the optimism of your team. Now, uh, first, I want to say that the traditional approaches of gratitude, exercise, prayer, affirmation, even smiling, and I know there's some other ones, you know, that have to do with just managing your emotional states. Those are all fine. I mean, they're important. They're good. But I wanted to give some additional, some things that you don't usually hear for my overthinker audience and one thing that you overthinkers need to realize is um, how we because I'm one to deal with confirmation bias and confirmation bias is the probably the strongest bias that everybody has it's not you know anything culturally based but confirmation bias is a bias that we always look for evidence to support what we already believe to be true. In other words, we don't want to be proven that we're wrong. So whatever evidence that you present, we'll try to look for ways to see it that it confirms what we already believe to be true. Well, there's a lot of evidence uh, that supports not only confirmation bias. I mean, that's kind of given as a truth in science, in psychology, psychology. But what was interesting is that the high intellect, high level of analytical ability, you would think, you might think as I did, that we analytical people would be less susceptible to confirmation bias because of that discipline of analyzing things. But it turns out we're the worst. <laughs> Analytical professionals are the, they are more skilled at finding and in a way twisting evidence to support what they already believe to be true. And this was tested on sub of topics, both, you know, more important to the left, like the environment, global warming or climate change and gun control. That's why we're having this conversation because we analytical people are more skilled at taking whatever evidence is presented to us, which can be that optimism is stupid or it's not very effective or it's not sound and looking for evidence that it doesn't, that it's not true or it's not helpful, but it is. Uh, the, The science behind optimism well there's a lot of different ways of looking at it it's a very wide topic but there's a whole body of research called expectancy theory and it's been shown over and over and over again that our expectations shape our outcomes and just to just to summarize two 
lines of research. One was with primary school children and another one was with middle school children in a sports program. So with the primary school uh, students, their teacher at the beginning of the school year was told that a certain group of students were gifted. And those gifted students were in fact, they could have been, but they were randomly selected. But at the end of the school year, those students outperformed the other ones, even ones who might have actually been gifted. But this teacher's expectations were so strong for these students to be exceptionally good that the teachers would take actions and make sure that that bias uh, was fulfilled. So their expectations became the what the behaviors reflected. And that was for cognitive development in primary school. I think second grade was is the grade that they most often have run that test. But they also did it with high school, I mean, middle school children in a basketball program. And I found that very endearing as a very klutzy person. And certainly I was never good at basketball or much of any sport except swimming. So I, um, it turns out the same exact same thing that the co- when the coach was told that certain students had a, a gift for athletic ability, for um, being coordinated or strong or fast, those students actually became the better basketball players. And that really blew my mind to think because I guess cognitive ability is easier for me than sports so the fact that it also that the expectancy theory tested uh, favorably in the sports environment is pretty remarkable so that's science to show that optimism is going your level of optimism is going to impact your love your outcomes and It may be helpful to think of it as not just optimism, but an informed optimism, or some might call it a tough-minded optimism. So I've got five insights for you with five specific payoffs. And the first one is about mental priming for performance. So understanding that your expectations are going to shape your outcomes, you want to prime yourself and your team for higher performance, for higher productivity, because you have this conviction that we can have positive outcomes, that we can take whatever situation is thrown at us and make it work and find good and find value in it. So of all the priming tools, and there's a lot of evidence for how the priming the brain to for something like if I were to show you all a bunch of words that we normally associate with old age, like wrinkles and retirement and nursing home, that just seeing those words would prime you to move more slowly and to slump. That's how strong priming is. But what you can do is take that priming and use it. And I suggest like a low hanging fruit way to prime you yourself and your team is by paying more attention to the beginnings of all your messages, whether it's email, whether it's a meeting, whether it's a one-on-one. How are you starting that conversation to put in high expectations and high energy and positive expectation in the beginning 
of all of those messages. And specifically, you can like point out what is working. You can point out effort that is getting more productive or getting better. You can point to past successes, anything that expresses specific confidence in your team at the beginning of the conversation, because that's going to set the tone for the way people think in the rest of that conversation. So the an example of how this works is from a study that was done in a situation simulating a hotel and room service. So people were in these rooms and the room service came with their breakfast. And half of the people were the waiter or the, the server would say, good morning, here's your breakfast and give them the breakfast and maybe have chit chat and then leave. And then the other group would come in and say, good morning, it's a beautiful day outside. Here's your breakfast. That was the only difference was that they were priming the person for a positive experience by commenting that it was a beautiful day. And that group, the servers got 27% higher tips not kidding. It's just planting the seed in people's brains that it's things are good. And when you are primed to look for the good, to look for the opportunity, uh, that's going to actually fuel your tenacity. Emotions fuel tenacity. So you can plant a positive emotion, seed it early in a conversation, and that's going to fuel not only your own tenacity, but that of the people that work for you. Okay, so that's number one is priming by paying attention to the beginnings of all your messages. And whether it's an email, starting that on a positive note, um, whether it's a meeting, whether it's a one-on-one, always thinking that you know your people and you know your style. So I'm not into uh, giving you you formula words, say this, like Mad Libs. Although sometimes I do with certain templates. But I want you to think about How can I start these conversations so that I'm priming the other person to be more successful? All right, number two, you can leverage optimism to overcome the negative effects of stress. So optimism can actually change your attitudes toward stressful conditions. You know, we think of stress as a killer. I mean, and it is, Uh, it's a very serious health threat in the developed world. But there is science, and it's not even new research, it's at least 10 years old and maybe older, that it's your attitude towards the stress that determines whether the stress hurts you or helps you. And here's an example of how this works. Let's say you and I are going to ride a very scary roller coaster, which is not something I would normally sign up for. But for the sake of science, I would do it. So we're both about to get on the roller coaster. And our bodies, if you were to hook up our brains to MRIs, the same part of our brains would be lit up in anticipation of this experience. However, I can say, oh, I'm so scared. This is so scary. And you can say, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And we're going to have the exact same experience. Our bodies 
are reacting in the same way with that little like electricity feeling or maybe it's sick in your stomach but that same charge but one person calls it scary and the other person calls it exciting and guess who considers that a positive experience the person who says it's exciting and one thing that I've noticed with my coaching clients and my coaching practice because I work with high performer analytical types and it's when things are just crazy and super stressful because there's a deadline or there's been somebody you know a key person has quit and they're reorging and it, it you can it's very stressful but I can tell they love it and that's what makes them successful because they're seeing that as positive like oh my gosh isn't this exciting rather than oh my goodness it's so stressful i feel terrible this is killing me so reframe stress as excitement and it is and your body will respond differently you will f respond differently and you can actually have a positive experience from the stress physically instead of a negative one. You can use optimism to overcome stress. That's number two. And number one was to use optimism to prime for performance. Number three, use optimism to empower your team. And actually, maybe I should have named this fuel the tenacity, like we referred to a little bit earlier. But when that's really the purpose of optimism is for you to encourage your the people that work for you and yourself to see the relationship between your attitudes your words your actions and the outcomes of your team and even of the whole company i find that the people that work in distributed teams this is a bigger challenge because the it's funny that this was true according to studies from the 1950s that when the there was like the corporate headquarters, we'll say in Cincinnati, and then lots of offices out all over the United States, the further away the people were from the corporate headquarters, then they would feel less appreciated. They were more pessimistic. They didn't feel as valued because they just missed that daily interaction and with the people close to, you know, that center of power and today we have so many people working remotely telecommuting or sometimes it's a company where everybody works remote which is actually easier to manage from a communication point of view but I like a lot of times like a large software company where I've done some coaching you know, the main business is in San Francisco, but they have people working in locations close to key clients. And so if that key client is located far away from San Francisco and that whole team is remote, they feel like the unappreciated stepchildren of the team or of the company. So you need to use optimism to really show people that you see the connection between their effort and the outcomes that you're getting and as far as doing that I think rather than trying to remember to do it all the time uh, to structure that into your communication uh, maybe in your one-on-ones to talk about what's going well or what you've seen or what a, you know even recognizing effort 
or if you're working with people remotely, you need to pay even more attention to your remote employees to make sure that their efforts and actions and attitudes are being recognized, but not just because, hey, good job, but because they're actually adding value to the organization. It's easy to forget that. So you want to use this optimism, communicate optimism to your team to fuel their tenacity and you want to strike and the way you feel that is by expressing a positive emotion and showing them the connection between what they're doing and the outcomes of the larger organization and the larger the company the more important that particular factor is if it's a small company the people work with who work with you they're going to feed off your optimism anyway the problem is scaling that all right, so number four is that optimism fuels creativity. And there's a whole nother line of research and thinking about that. It's, and it's not even new. It's, uh, it's not new at all. But one book that's one of my favorite books is called A Beautiful Constraint. I think it came out like in 2015 or something. It's by Adam Morgan and Mark somebody and one of his colleagues and they're with a consultancy that's based in London called Eat Big Fish. I just love that company and uh, the, the thesis of this book was about embracing your constraints as a way to fuel creativity and they just give example after example after example. I mean it's just phenomenal and the thing, you don't even have to read that book, though, if you just look around you. But I'll just give you one example that was uh, kind of funny. I think you'll get a kick out of it. So Virgin Airlines started in, I believe, San Francisco. They're just launching. They've spent all this money acquiring the airplanes and the rights and the marketing and the and training and the uniforms and you know you know Richard Branson and Virgin Enterprise like they're into the wow the disruptor mentality but they by the time they were ready to launch because they had so many cost overruns they literally had zero budget for a splashy launch communication campaign so they're trying to figure out how can they make the biggest splash with very little budget uh, for their first flight, which I believe was from San Francisco to Los Angeles. So what did they do? Uh, they contacted Victoria's Secret and they did a, <laughs> how hard of a sale is this? A, a lingerie fashion show on the flight and so that, of course, got all the press. So they got, instead of having to pay a PR agency to get the press, which is expensive, I'm sure it is worth it, they got free, massive national coverage because of this super creative idea that literally cost them nothing because Victoria's Secret was also benefiting. And so it was a win-win with zero uh, financial outlay on the behalf of Virgin Airlines and I was last night uh, my husband and I watched a movie from the 60s I think it was called The Great Escape with Steve McQueen and it was about how these soldiers these officers were prisoners of war during World War II and they were planning this massive escape and they were just so creative but so you seek this kind of creativity from constraints, you know, all the time. 
but only if you see it. And only, it only works if you think it will work for you. If you think that only other people can be creative, you're not going to be creative. You will never achieve beyond what you think is possible for you. So at the end of the day, this optimism that I'm talking to you about is really about increasing your sense of agency. And agency is your belief, your conviction that your actions have consequences. Uh, oh, here's one more example. Uh, just from this week, I lived in Venezuela for 10 years. I lived in Spain. So I'm very, you know, familiar with Spanish and Latin American culture and so forth. And they have a lot of fruits that we don't have, like passion fruit is something that I love. They don't have there. No, they don't, no, we have, they have passion fruit in Latin America. We don't have it. We're going to get some here, but it's not native and it's not widespread yet. But in Latin America, there are two fruits that you never see, they, they're not part of their local cuisine, and there's not even a word for them. And those two fruits are blueberries and cranberries. Like they don't even, there's not even a translation. Now, if I'm sure you're gonna go look in the dictionary and there's some word, but I promise you, you can ask a native Latin American, what's a blueberry? And they wouldn't, I mean, they would only know if they'd had it elsewhere. Turns out, at Whole Foods, we bought some blueberries that were, you know, they're under the umbrella brand of some California. I think it's called Sunripe. These blueberries were from Peru. So I am sure you talk to an average Peruvian, they do not know what a blueberry is. But those blueberries were the best I have ever eaten from Peru. But that only happened because somebody was optimistic that even if you know the native these people don't even know what a blueberry is they don't know what it's supposed to look like they don't know what it's supposed to taste like they don't know how you eat them we can have a positive experience even if we have failures along the way because remember our optimism is really fueling our tenacity so that's an, that's your other so there's the example of victoria's secret fashion show the example of escaping from a prison camp uh, the example of the blueberries but literally these examples are everywhere if you look for them and i've got three questions that you can use to help seed this uh, creativity in your team through your optimistic expectation. And the questions are, how can we, or what if we, like what if we did this, what if we did that, what else, what are we not seeing? But basically your optimism is the expectation that there is more out there, that your people have even more ideas that haven't surfaced yet. Or that there are other solutions you just but it's your optimistic expectation that is feeding that otherwise yeah that creativity is there but it's not doing you or anybody else any good and you know from your days as an employee if you if you don't feel like your boss is going to listen to your great idea you're not going to knock yourself out to sh either share that one or develop other ideas so use your optimism to fuel creativity and then finally the fifth aspect of optimism is that it increases likability 
and actually optimism is identified as one aspect of likability there are others it has to do with connecting with people but it's a key ingredient in being a likable person and likable people make more money have more friends have more success it's really a great umbrella skill to have how can you increase that likability aspect of your optimism or how can you seed the growth of optimism in your team and what I suggest is something that Zig Ziglar used to uh, say was to be a good finder. To find the specific, again, it all goes back to the same, the specific actions, attitudes, and behaviors that are creating the success of the larger organization. But I'm going to give you one more thing besides just specific compliments because I found this, this was like an instant likability magic phrase. And I had been using it for quite some time without knowing that. So it's like, I found out why, why people like me because I say this and I do say it and write it in my emails. I was just thinking about you because isn't it true that you'll think about somebody and they will call you or they will email you, or so you'll have a reason to connect. So I always comment on that. And probably you are all, you also think of people and then you run into them, but if you, do, but if you actually say it, because it requires some vulnerability because maybe they weren't thinking about you. I mean, that's the truth, but it doesn't matter. Uh, letting people know that you were, th- I was just thinking about you, or you can use that as a preface to, to get in touch with somebody Oh, I was just thinking about you and I, w- and I thought you might enjoy this thing or I want to know how you're doing or just touch base. And anyway, that's a way to increase your likability. And it comes from an optimism that by reaching out and embracing your relationship with the other person that is going to reciprocate. It's a optimistic view of relationships. To sum all this up, Uh, Your optimism is fuel for tenacity, and it's really all about trying more things um, based on the expectation of of a positive outcome. And just to review, the five outcomes are performance, and the action that you can use to leverage that is to focus on the beginnings of your meetings and your conversations. Uh, Number two, use optimism to reframe your experience of stress from negative to positive by saying that it's exciting, not scary or painful or fill in the blank. Number three, use optimism to empower your team by recognizing their specific contributions, especially if they're remote, especially if you work in a larger company. Because you're expressing your optimism in their future by doing so. Number four, fuel the creativity of your team through an optimistic expectation that there are creative ideas and solutions in your team that have not surfaced yet. And finally, use optimism to increase your likability. Tell people that when you're thinking about them and... That's going to make you more magnetic and make you a more effective leader. So those are my thoughts on optimism. It's not really my thoughts. It's my take. There's so much research out there. I just think I like to find things that are free, like optimism, like good communication, 
that are so powerful. And you can use this to not only uh, grow your people, you can flourish. Use optimism, optimism to flourish more. And if you would like this kind of material or content for a lunch and learn or a mini workshop or if you're outside of Charleston area, of course, I'll, I'll go anywhere, but we could also do a webinar. But I think it's a really motivating topic, but not motivating in a go-go, rah-rah sense, but motivating in a scientific discipline. Let's train our brains to spend less time on the negative part and more time searching for solutions. Like, don't dwell on the problem. Let's focus on finding solutions. And I have a lot more. I did a webinar. There's content in the webinar that I haven't shared because it's getting long. But I, if you're interested in this topic and bringing it to your company, you can contact me. The website is mixonian.com. It's Mixonian is M as in Mary, I-X-O-N-I-A-N. And have a great day, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.